Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, I've entitled the uh, sermon this morning, Walk in Wisdom. We're endeavoring to work our way through this book called Ecclesiastes. Take your Bible and turn to that if uh, you've not. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Last time we saw that life is uh, unpredictable, isn't it? It is uh, grossly unpredictable. Who can tell moment by moment what will take place? I can't tell it in my life, nor can you your life. I read of a terrible accident uh, that took place again uh, last night, or was it Friday night late? Uh, there on 81. Evidently somebody got on the, uh, the interstate right near us and was going the wrong direction. And there was a, uh, evidently a pastor from New York State and uh, his children and others, and uh, they collided. I didn't say in the paper whether the man was uh, drunk or not, but his dear wife was killed, and uh, his son was injured. And the drunk, if he was drunk, probably was. How did he get on going the wrong way without being at least under some sort of influence? He was killed as well. Little thought did he have. Life is unpredictable. Who can tell? You cannot tell. Even this past week, I, I said a dear friend of mine died, probably the most brilliant man of my era, highly trained Ph.D. from Cornell University, brilliant, and uh, never rose from his bed at 53 years of age. You would have thought he had for many, many years to live. You don't know. You do not know from accident or health, from one moment to the next. I'm reminded you can open your mouth and Breathe, we call it a germ, right? You can breathe a germ. You always have bacteria on your body, viruses, and you will not even rise from your bed. That's how tenuous in question life is moment by moment. We think we're going to live forever. God has made us in His image, the Imago Dei, the, Italian, the uh, Italian, the Latin words, the image of God stamped on our being. We think in terms of next year, 10 years, 5 years, 50 years out. We think that way because God has stamped us with His likeness, the immortality in our soul. The reality is we don't know from one moment to the next. You do not know what will happen. Well, today, and this is the 10th message from the book of Ecclesiastes, only a few more, and we will finally be finished with this book called the Koheleth, Hebrew word meaning uh, the preacher. It's Solomon the wisest man that uh, ever lived, and I've entitled the message, Walk in Wisdom. Look at chapter 9, verse 13, and this goes through chapter 10, this section, as we'll look at this. I'm reminded that often at a graduation ceremony, a speaker will tell the graduates how to be successful in life. Isn't that true? You've sat through, some of you look like you've sat through some of those get all decked up and dressed up, and what a big occasion. I've sat through a number of them as a, as a grad, couldn't wait for that day, 
you finally throw my my uh, mortar into the mortar head into the air when it was all over, right? Exciting. Then as a faculty member of a college to uh, to be a part of commencement, and then as a uh, as a trustee, uh, many of those I've sat there and listened to many many commencement speeches, and and uh, you've probably if you have many children or you've gone through many uh, graduations, you've uh, you've heard them all, and they talk what about how to be successful, how do you do it, how do you do this thing called life? Well, I'm reminded that today in our text, it's just like that, if you will, Solomon. Is, uh, is the speaker, and he's pleading with us, his hearers, to be wise, to be men and women of wisdom. So you see, it's not enough to be smart. Not enough. You can be the head of your class. You can have the top IQ. You can, you can be numero uno, right? Honor society. You can be uh, the top society of the brilliant, the wise, or the smart. Not enough. Not enough. Those of you who, like myself, have uh, visited back uh, uh, at reunions. You know, you go to the 10 and the 20 and the 30-year reunions, and you find out, you know, what do they look like? Oh, yeah, I remember they were valedictorian. You look at them and... If they were extremely brilliant in their in their disciplines and studies and academics, but uh, you discover they made a shipwreck of their life, you, you realize it's not enough to be smart. Not enough. A lot of smart people don't know how to do this thing called life. They don't. They make a wreck of it. Not enough. Not enough also to be talented. A lot of talented people. Have you noticed? Our band, they play uh, the guitar like I always, I guess, wanted to play it. You wouldn't know I took a couple years. Or the piano, I took five years of that. I can still find middle C. A lot of talented people. Not enough to be talented. A lot of talented people blow their lives up, make a shipwreck, destroy it. Not enough. Solomon, as it were, standing at this commencement, urging us to be men and women of wisdom, reminding us not enough to be brilliant, not enough to be talented, not enough to be skilled, not enough to be one of the beautiful people, the attractive people. Go back to one of your 20 or 30 year class anniversaries or reunions if you're that old. Some of you 50, you look like it. Uh, you discover what happened to those that were beautiful. Boy, they were everything in high school. What a mess. Look at their lives. They look like they've been through the war. Not enough. Not enough to be athletic. How about those high school jocks? They had all the girls, right? Oh, look at their lives. They go back. It's not enough. It's not enough, you see. That's not the key to success. It's not enough. Solomon tells us that only wisdom, only wisdom will carry you successfully through life. Only wisdom. Very different than any of the above. It's not the same as being smart. Dr. Dobson, who, uh, uh, who has his daily radio program, and many of you listen to that, I'm sure, he said this once. He said, life is loaded like a gun. It's loaded. You can hurt yourself without the ability to make key decisions. It's loaded. And people shoot themselves in the foot and other places, so to speak, by making terrible choices, less than wise. 
That's not stuff that remains outside the church. God's people often act very unwisely. The key is, is to make wise decisions that we might serve the Lord and be a blessing all the days that God has intended for us. Did you know that, according to one author, that there are five or six times in your life when you'll make key decisions? There are five or six big ones. and You've got to make the wise choices or your life may crater. And you'll soon be roadkill. Walk in wisdom. Solomon's pleading with us almost at this commencement address in chapter 9, verse 13 and following. We're going to see in our text there are two insights about wisdom that call us to walk in its light. Solomon urges us to make wise choices as we enjoy life, as we enjoy our families, as we enjoy our work. We're to make wise choices. Look at verse of chapter 9, verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a poor, a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. And so I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let's stop there at this point and notice the first insight about wisdom calling you and calling me to walk in the light of its words. The first insight is that wisdom, which is only a gift from God, is amazingly powerful. Now, we're a people that love power, right? 454 under the hood. When I was in high school, that was power. You know, just oh, hear those carburetor just... Just blowing that gas through there. Wouldn't you like that at four and a quarter a gallon today? Man, your dad had to be in oil to do that. That's power. That's power. And then you go down to uh, Florida and you see the power of the Saturn V rocket. It still thrills me when I think about the space race. The race to the moon and the construction of those, those five uh, jet engines in that one rocket that carried the Apollo ship all the way to the moon. I mean, it launched it, and of course, the stages dropped off. That's power. The roar of that was incredible. Power. How about nuclear power? Here in the Harrisburg area with Three Mile Island, you know, we're famous for that. I, when I travel around, I say where I'm from. People go, is that near that Three Mile Island? And others will say, I've flown into that airport. Then is that? We go right by Three Mile Island. Nuclear power. Boy, that's something. Boy, that's... You're about that with the Iranians. Boy, we can't let them have nuclear power. That's all we need. That crazy man at the helm threatening to blow up uh, uh, Tel Aviv and Israel, that'd be a horrible thing. What a horrible thing to put that kind of power into uh, the hands of a, of a maniac like he is. Well, power, we discover here, wisdom is a most amazing power. 
Solomon tells us here in verse 13 and following that he was so impressed to see that wisdom is even mightier than military strength. Wow, that's what he's talking about. He tells the story of a small city with a wall that was being sieged by a powerful king with his army. In that day, you know that uh, for defense purposes, a city out in the open would build a, a tower around it. Most of us, uh, a wall around it. Most of us think of uh, the medieval castles. If you've ever had a chance to go on the Rhine River, it's beautiful to, to take a, a ship up there and to see the beautiful castles and the walls that surround them. Well, in the ancient day, they would build the uh, cities uh, and then they'd put a wall around it. That was their defense. Most of us think of the moats in front, and did they have alligators in there and all that kind of thing. Uh, Some did, and most didn't. But uh, an opposing enemy would come, and and he would build up ramps, earthen ramps. He'd have his siege equipment and try and break down the, the door. He would hold a siege there and try and starve them out or drive them uh, because of lack of water. If they didn't have a fresh source or a spring within, they would cause them to have starvation and even dehydration that they might surrender. And so Solomon tells the story of a small city, was insignificant, had a wall, was being sieged by a powerful, mighty king. Verse 14. Was Solomon thinking about Joab? There's an account in 2 Samuel chapter 20 that tells a story. It's a little bit different. In that account, in Joab's account, there was a woman. But notice that I, I, uh, I see that uh, we, we have that on the wall. We don't have that on the... But uh, you can look that up later. <laughs> Give you a chance to study. In fact, you ought to do that. You ought to take the handout. Yours isn't as pretty as mine, but... Uh, You ought to study that all week long. That's how you'll grow in grace and know the Word. But there, the story about Joab, uh, David's general, laid siege to a city, a good city, and uh, he was going to uh, deal harshly with it. And there, a woman simply uh, caught the attention of the general, a woman living in the city, and she said, uh, isn't it that you're only after a certain person? And he said, yes. And he said, uh, okay, and she, in time, uh, in short order, uh, tossed his head over the wall, and that ended it. The city was saved. Wisdom on her part. Why starve the men, women, children, the innocents? Why not uh, deal with the criminal at hand and only him? It was wisdom. Maybe that's what Solomon's thinking of in that Second Samuel uh, chapter 20 passage. Within the city, this Solomon tells of a poor wise man. He changes the gender. And gave, uh, this man gave counsel and delivered the city. And yet, uh, the man was not uh, remembered, the text says. In verse 15, he was not remembered. To be remembered, wasn't, it wasn't like they're walking around with amnesia. Who was that guy? You know, I can't remember. I don't remember. Was his name Billy or Mary or, or, or William or what? I don't know. Wasn't that at all? It meant uh, he wasn't honored. He wasn't rewarded for uh, his wisdom that delivered this little town, the walled, from the unstoppable king who was stopped. 
wisdom outmaneuvered his might. And so Solomon says, I learned something about wisdom. It's powerful. It's powerful. Well, what is it? B, what is this thing, wisdom, is, that Solomon is talking about? Let's define it. It's not the same as intelligence. It's not IQ, innate uh, in, intelligent ability. It's uh, having uh, proper knowledge. But wisdom is that which guides us in the, the best usage of knowledge. We all know a lot of things. We all know in moral and morality, right and wrong. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. That's most of the time not our problem. I don't find it to be much of our problem at all to know the difference. Uh, I mean, to know what's right and wrong, we know. But to do the right in God's moral universe, that takes wisdom. To know the best choice of what is and then to follow through and do it. That's wisdom. That's what Solomon is talking about. And so if you're to be wise, notice a couple of things. Number one, you must recognize the supremacy of God. He's all-knowing. And he lends his knowledge and wisdom to us. He's all-wise. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And so you must first acknowledge him and bow before him as creature. Second, uh, you must learn his word. God has given only one book. It's not the Koran. It's, it's not the writings of, uh, of Buddha. Or it's not any of the isms of the secular world. God has given one book. It is the scriptures. Here are the words of Jesus when confronted in the temptation by Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. Hear him on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. You do err in that you do not know the scriptures, the writings. It is, there's only one word. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto good works. God has given one book. It's in his word. We are to learn his word. You are to be a student. You are to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Why? It will give you wisdom way beyond your years. God's word is full of wisdom, and he has given it for us. Do we have Proverbs 3? Do we have that, Jay? Look at Proverbs 3. Uh, 3, 13 to 18. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Blessed, incidentally, means, oh, how happy is the one. The man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable, that is wisdom, than silver and yields a better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. It is found in the word of our God. It is the manual for life. Most of you uh, have a car, and we often will say this, that the manufacturer will also give you with that car a, uh, a, a manual 
for that car. And it will tell you, according to the specifications of your automobile, how you're to maintain that automobile so that it will operate in the best fashion and give you years of good service. Hopefully it's not a lemon. I've had one. The manual is made by the manufacturer. Our Bibles are just the same thing. It is God's manual for his people where God, the all-wise, all-knowing God, shares with us the manual for life and for godliness, where it points us to the Savior. He created us. He knows how we best work. He realized that we're born in a sinful family, the Adams family, and that we're lost on our way to hell without the very Word of God. And God gives us the manual. It's an incredible treasure. It is the Word of God. What greater thing could you have in your home after possessing the gospel in your own heart and life than the Bible? A lot of people today are fond of talking about their HD TV or their flat screens. I've got one. Isn't that great? Well, that may be or maybe not. The bill's playing on. That's a great thing to see. There's something far greater than that. It's your Bible. It's your Bible. It's It's your copy in your own language of the Scriptures. And as you daily open that and discipline yourself in reading it, memorizing, and putting it into your heart and life, you'll grow in wisdom. Well, incidentally, look in the bulletin. We forgot to introduce our verse for July. It's uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. And it calls us to number our days aright that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Wisdom, that's what the Word of God gives us, and that we might live our days in wisdom not in foolishness. It's powerful. The Word of God is powerful. Wisdom is powerful. And so number three, you must submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. That's the beginning point. You must. You must. It's not optional. Don't think you have tomorrow. You don't know that. Don't be presumptuous on that. Even if you're younger, you do not know that. You must be born again. Jesus said it must be redeemed. You must. You must. You're living dead men in your heart and soul until Christ the Lord is your Savior. You must be born again. And then, as you walk through life, it's like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. As you read and have read Bunyan's writing, he walks with an open Bible and it guides him. The wisdom that comes from knowing Christ Hearing God's word, it will guide you and direct you and keep you and bless your heart and your family in all that you do. Well, cease. Further, Solomon submits. Uh, you, uh, Solomon tells us that wisdom, however, is not always heeded. It's not always heeded. People hear it and they go like, ah, ah, maybe. And that's why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Pearls of the gospel, pearls of the wonder of Christ, pearls of people's need to be saved, pearls of wisdom, the word, and people run over. They treat it in a disdainful way. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised. Wisdom is not always heeded. The requirement is that people must have a humble spirit. You must be humble to receive it, to allow it to take root and guide the helm of your life. Verse 17 Solomon says, 
the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. They're more to be heeded, but they're not always heeded. Most of the world could care less about God and his word for a time. You must allow God's word to direct your choices in life as a believer or disaster will happen. I promise you that. The Bible tells us that what a man, what a woman sows, like a farmer going out, like you go out in your garden, and you sow corn or tomatoes or sweet peas. You can count on it in short order. That's what will come up. Corn, a stalk will grow. The peas will come up early. Maybe the bell peppers or the strawberries. It's a law of, of agronomy. It's a law of nature. What a man or woman sows, they will reap. And if you hear the word of God and you allow it to govern your lives as Christians, then you will reap the blessing of that in life. Solomon in this commencement addresses calling us to live successful lives. Not enough to be intelligent, not enough to be handsome or talented or skilled. You can still be shipwrecked. You must hear wisdom that's found after only coming to Christ. and Build it into your heart and life. Do it, or you'll be road killed, disaster. In areas of our life, we think of money management. The way you handle your money is, uh, is important. God has a lot to say about that. It's not a minor thing. Minor thing, money, it really is, and yet it shows the big things in our life. How you, how you use it. Do you overspend it? Do you give it? Do you use it for things eternal? What do you do with it? The Scriptures will guide you in that, give you wisdom in that. This store puts them away for a rainy day. Live on a margin. Wisdom, it'll cause you peace at night. Live hand to mouth, there's no way to live. Your car's going to break down. Stuff's going to happen. It happens. Your health will deteriorate. The Bible says, be wise about that. A wise man has a store. He has cupboards. He has something put away. Realize there's a day he'll be sick and won't be able to. Doesn't mean we hoard it. Scriptures talk about that. Don't do that. Be generous. You want to be happy in life? Be generous. Help those around you. Give of the first fruits to the Lord's work. And there'll be a joy in your life and a radiance. And not only that, where you give, your heart will follow. It will. Give to the work of missions. Guess what? Your heart's going to be on the mission field. Give uh, to those in need. You're going to have a heart for those that need. And it's not all about you, yourself, and I. The scriptures have lots to say about money. The scriptures have lots to say about sexuality. They say, talk about money, talk about sex, and you get everybody's attention. I'll tell you, in our day, sex is sold... Uh, like it's at the five and dine store. Listen, it's still true. Sexuality is God's wedding gift. And if you abuse it in our world, just go trash your lives. That's what the world says. Just go out once and jump in the sack. And you'll have scars in your soul and regret. You'll carry that. You'll wonder why it's not quite right. God gave it as a love gift. It's not my opinion. It's not mine. Pornia is the word sexual in, in, uncleanliness. It's a broad word. It speaks of all sorts of sexual abuse. If you misuse it, it's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful gift. It's a pleasurable gift that God has given for marriage. But you run counter to the word, you go the way of a fool, and you're going to suffer for it. 
You'll suffer in your heart. You'll suffer in your life. You will, I promise you. Because what you sow, you'll reap. Money, sex, entertainment. Be careful what you do in your leisure times. Sometimes we expose ourselves as believers to moments of leisure and days of leisure. And the temptations are fraught. Satan will ruin you. And we have a, still a sin bent within us. Be careful about that. Be careful what you watch and where you go. Be careful. It's no different than when we teach our children. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. I mean, we're just kids with big bodies. Be careful about that. Be wise in those things. In the things that you do at work and the words that you say and all of life. Let wisdom direct you. You must be humble to receive God's word in your life and to follow it since you've come to Christ the Lord and are saved. Well, wisdom, D, is powerful. It's powerful. Wisdom, in verse 18, is better than weapons of war. Boy, we know something about that as Americans, don't we? We are the great weapon makers of the world. The weapons. Sometimes I wonder about that. We... uh, we, uh, we export weapons. Did you know that? We're the number one exporter of military power and might often wonder when the airplanes and bombs and bullets are going to come back and hit us that we made, we developed through technology you know, through years and years, and we just sort of traded away to others with this naivety. Don't we all want to just hug in the world? I don't think so. That's gross naivety. We have enemies out there that would love to bury us. Not just Nikita Khrushchev years ago when he banged his foot at the UN. I remember that as a kid. It scared me. We will bury you. There are, there are still enemies that would like to bury us. They hate our decadent culture. That's what we export around the world. You know that? We're thought of as being a Christian country. We're not. We're a pagan country. There are pockets of Christians in it. And what we export around the world besides military weaponry is our pagan culture. It's decadent. The music, uh, the lifestyles, uh, the movies, all of these kind of things. And that's why there are countries that really hate America and what it stands for, the decadence. But I live in the same culture you do, and I'm offended Even as you are, we swim in a polluted sewer. Be aware of that. Wisdom, however, is more powerful. It saved that little city from that that unstoppable king, and it will help you. It's powerful. It's amazingly powerful. Know that. When Solomon calling us, be men and women of wisdom, it's powerful. Powerful. Don't have to have an M16 bombs around you. Just know the Word of God. Walk with it, and it will help you powerfully live a God-honoring life. Raise your family as such and to be a blessing. The second insight is, is really chapter 10, and, and he calls us to walk in the light of wisdom, and he teaches us that wisdom is superior to folly in revealing its priceless value. Now, chapter 10 really is a, is a series of loosely connected maxims, if you will. They're like Proverbs. When you read chapter 10, they're, they're grouped together and some are uh, single verses, but it reads like the book of Proverbs. 
A proverb is a pithy little saying of wisdom. It's a gold nugget of truth. And here Solomon is going to reinforce the value of wisdom in our life. He's by comparing it or contrasting it with the way of the fool. He's going to tell us, listen, it's a priceless value. I don't know what you think of as being priceless in your life. A lot of people think uh, their jewelry is priceless. i got news for you, it's not. Some keep it guarded in, in the safe, and maybe that's probably where they need to keep it. Well, that's not priceless. Wisdom is priceless. Its value is beyond measure. You cannot get out the, the rule and measure it. It's beyond it. So let's drop in and just listen to a couple of these loosely connected proverbs, if you will, that reinforce to us the value of wisdom that we might hear Solomon's address to us as grads going out into this world that's fraught with danger. Life is loaded, Dobson said. Be careful. There's a revolver here with bullets in it, and you could get hurt. Well, the first, uh, in A, verse 1, the fly in the ointment. You know, it's amazing how much of English and a lot of our expressions come from the Scriptures. People don't know their Bibles as such, so they don't know that the Bible is the source of that. The fly in the ointment comes from right from verse, chapter 10, verse 1. This is actually an illustration from 18, from 918. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The fly in the ointment, Solomon tells how a little folly or a little foolishness destroys, it destroys so much beauty. Reading about this, uh, I never made ointment, but I've been to Egypt a number of times. They make a, a lot of ointments there, heavy scents, and I discovered the reason why is that they don't take showers like Americans do. Aren't you glad for warm water and showers? You know, we think, don't people, didn't people always have a nice shower and get in it and it's nice warm water and sing in there? No way. That's a, new, that's a modern phenomenon. You know what they used to do in ancient days? And when I was a kid, I, unless I was unusually dirty, it was only a Saturday night experience, my bath. I've told you about that before. But in a lot of parts of the world, what they did is they, they would put on heavy ointments. I mean, if they had a little B.O. problem, they just put on a little extra heavy, and hopefully that would overwhelm whatever else is going on there, right? <laughs> the microorganisms under your arms and elsewhere, right? And so those that made the perfumes and the ointments, that was quite a science. I've seen it down in Bermuda, how they do that. They crush the beautiful petals and... Uh, and if all these it takes an enormous amount of beautiful flowers to make the essence of the oils uh, a perfume and cologne. And Solomon's referring to a vat of this uh, this boiled down, if you will, ointments, beautiful, beautiful Chanel or maybe it's a Giorgio red or one of these kinds, you know, polo, and a fly gets in there. And it's the excrement from the fly that's left, and it, it, it ruins the whole batch. That's the essence of foolishness. I don't think he's talking about in our life, you know, individually. You know, he's not talking really about your life and mine, though it is true. 
We can do much for our Lord Jesus in serving him, and we ought to if you know him. But we still have a sin bent, and we can still do less than wise and even foolish things. And it taints our reputation, it taints our name, it taints the name of Christ. It's true. A little bit of foolishness, a little bit of folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He's not talking about that individually, though that is true. He's talking rather the tendency for folly and foolishness to predominate over wisdom in our fallen world. And it does. We live in a world that's foolhardy. Oh, extremely brilliant in ways. But to use that knowledge in the best possible way, in the ways of wisdom, I don't think so. And you see it everywhere. You do. Beware of that. It predominates just a little bit of that. Foolishness blanks out the wisdom that could be here. And B, the heart of the wise, in verse 2, a second proverb, if you will, inclines to the right. He's not referring here to politics. I heard Rush Limbaugh one day say this. Look, the heart of the wise inclines to the right. The Bible says it. That's crazy. That's not what he's talking about. The right, the conservative, therefore vote conservative. He's not talking about that. And the, and the heart of the, of the fool to the left. What's he talking about? Well, inclining to the right, the right is the place of protection and safety. Psalm 16, verse 8, David writes, He, that is the Lord, is at my right hand for safety and protection. It's the place of, of safety. If you're wise, it will lead you figuratively to, to, to that safe place. If there ever is a place in a fallen world where the future is unpredictable, it's in the paths of wisdom, is what he's saying. God in his grace through the manual of his word will protect you. If you choose to go the other way, you will find the left side is the place of weakness or exposure. We even have that expression in English, don't we? Some of you are pretty good in tennis. Jenny, I heard that's what you're... No, you're playing racquetball before you had that episode with your heart. That must have been some game of racquetball. You what? You lost. You lost a few days then too, huh? Sometimes that expression, I'm so good I could beat you with my left hand. Right? Even with the weak side. Now forget Jonathan's left-handed, Sarah's left. I don't know how it is Faith and I being right-handed had... Two out of three are left-handed, but uh, I guess mistakes happen or something. No, they're, they're <laughs> that's right. David, you're the only, you're carrying on, the right hand. But the left hand, left, uh, the left hand is usually that of the artist, right? They're out of the right mind, and it's the creative bent and all that. I mean, that was a, we were nervous about that. When Sarah was a baby, we took her to Dr. Stasfus and said to uh, him, she seems to be favoring her left hand, doctor. I remember I was the one that said it. Faith didn't think I should bring it up. So then I said, is there anything we can do about that? I mean, I said, after all, it is a right-handed world, right? And I noticed at that moment he was writing notes with his left hand. 
I thought, like, why did I say that? That was the dumbest thing. He just kind of looked up at me, his glasses, you know. And I said, okay. All right. But there was a crazy day when they used to tie the, the left hand behind the back. That's true, right? Ronald Reagan. Look at that. He ended up being president. How about that? I can beat you with my left hand. Meaning my weaker hand is so, I'm so good, my left hand, the weaker hand. Can, can beat you. Well, that sort of comes from that. The inner nature of the wise person, because we bear a new disposition in, after being saved in the Holy Spirit, uh, it, the, the inner nature of the wise person is ever ready to protect from numerous dangers. The fool directed to the left is exposed, exposed in his decision-making and uh, will suffer for it. You'll end up weak and a failure. Thomas Paine, we think about the 4th of July with, uh, with the independence, and we celebrate that as a country. Thomas Paine was uh, quite a writer in those colonial days, wrote uh, the pamphlets Common Sense. Some of you have read those. He wrote another book. It was a terrible book. It was called The Age of Reason. Terrible book. Trying, it was an attempt in his thesis to stamp out any sort of Christendom religion, if you will, from the public arena. We're, we're getting smarter and smarter now, so we, can, we don't need any of that, that. Let's get rid of it. Even as uh, friend Benjamin Franklin counseled him, don't ever publish that. If you do, you'll be thought a fool. Well, he did. You should know his life ended up a disaster. He was a man who went the way of the fool. He died broken a drunk and a fool, even though he had quite a bit of brilliance. He went to the left, weakness and failure. Well, in contrast, the fool exposes himself in verse 3 as soon as he sets foot out of his house, as Solomon tells us. Even, even, a, even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense. What a picture. Bumbling, stumbling along life, as it were, and shows everyone. It's like he's got a billboard over his head, Look at this stupid man. Look at this stupid woman. Look at him. Look at the dumb things they say and things they do. Stumbling, bumbling, hitting all the potholes. And there are a bunch of them in life. Have you noticed? Not only in the PennDOT highway system. And I don't know how they ever keep up with all, with the weather changes and the tight budget and all that. But there are even more in life. And the fool, Solomon tells us at this commencement address, he rejects the, the Son of God, Christ as a Savior, doesn't hear the Word of God, won't have it. I'll be my own judge. I'm the measure of all things. He stumbles along the way he handles his money. He stumbles with his relationships, his love life, his family, his work. It's like a stupid man below with the arrow. That's what Solomon is saying. That's what he's pointing at. And he proclaims us openly that he's a fool to all that meet him. Well, D, wisdom leads to patience in 4 to 7. These are kind of clustered together. If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Don't, don't resign. Calmness or patience can lay great errors to rest. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of evil that arises from the ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich 
And the idea here is the rich, they were prudent, they were wise, and so in a period of time, uh, they were able to prosper and be success and, and gain wealth. Well, they were occupying low positions. I've seen slaves on horseback and while princes, those who were trained in governance and in, 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 in wisdom, well, they go about on foot like slaves. Verses 4 to 7. Wisdom leads to patience when a ruler's when rulers and governance, state, local, and federal level, are wicked and angry. Don't give up. Stay true to your convictions. Your godliness and virtue will sustain you to the end. At times, rulers put their foolish friends into office over those who are more qualified. They are anything but impartial. There's mystery in the plan of God. Don't allow it to be a roadblock to your enjoyment of life. Nepotism. These rulers are incompetent. They're undisciplined. Be patient. Be patient is what he's saying. And E, remember that in this set of uh, Proverbs, that every course of life has risk. It does. He reminds us in this commencement address. If you're to succeed, you must act wisely. For wise people, unlike fools, take into their calculation possible dangers. Go where fools dare not tread. It's kind of an expression that comes from this. Look at verse, uh, uh, verses 8 and following. He gives a number of scenarios of life just showing us that life has risk. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. Every course of life has risks. If you're to succeed, you must enter into your calculation the possible dangers that may be before you. Pray and ask God to give you wisdom, diligence, discipline, and foresight. Wisdom, he's telling us, is the difference between Success and failure. Wisdom must not be an afterthought. But note verse 11, and this is one of the key verses here. If a snake bites before it is charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. The idea is here that wisdom must engage before the activity. It's too late after. A wise uh, charmer, a handler of snakes in that ancient day, must use wisdom before it bites. It's no good after. Wisdom is no good after the fact. After you have hit the pothole of life. Why did I do that? What, what's the matter with me? It's kind of locking the barn after the horses are out. That's where that expression comes. It's too late. It's too late. Incorporate wisdom before you hit the pothole, before you suffer the agony. God has given you his manual, his direction. Use your noggin, use your heart. It's not enough to be smart, not enough to be, to be handsome. It's not enough to be skilled or talented. You must hear the word of God and incorporate by God's grace his wisdom into the, in all the details of life. It must not be an afterthought. It must be used at the right time. 
when it needs to be done. Well, wisdom is better than IQ. It's better than strength. It's better than, than looks. Use it. Use it. God gives it to us. It's his gift. It's a margin. In verses 12 through 15, quickly as we draw to an end here, wisdom will cause your words to be gracious in content. Listen to the words of a wise man. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious. The contrast. But a fool is consumed by his own lips. Key word is consumed. At the beginning his words are folly. At the end they're wicked madness. And the fool multiplies words. No one knows what's coming. Who can tell him what will happen after? A fool's work wearies him. He does not know even the way to town. Well, what is he saying in F on your outline? Wisdom will cause your words to be gracious and content, winsome in spirit, affectionate in appeal and warm in tone. What a contrast to the fool. You, know, you, you have fools probably in your family. You say, well, the fool that sits next to me at my desk, he works next to me. Anything but wise. Anything. And they identify, they open their mouth and they identify themselves as being fools. It happens, right? You know, that, that's one of the Proverbs says that if we at least keep our mouth shut, we fool half the people. But when we open our mouths, you know, that which comes out identifies us clearly. We ought not to be fools. But fools identify themselves through their mouth. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and the tongue identifies. His words will consume him, verse 12b. A fool continues talking, thinking that he knows everything about everything. You ever met him? They just know everything. Just ask him. You don't even have to ask him. They just keep running. It's diarrhea of the mouth. It just keeps coming. Keeps coming. Talk to him about origins, creation. Talk to him about meaning and value of life. Talk to him about government. Talk to them about anything and everything. They've got an opinion. And Psalm says, listen, there's only one thing that's going to guide you through this landmine called life. It's God's wisdom given to those who have received the Lord Jesus as their Savior and who read and hear the Word of God and build it into their life. That's wisdom. That's how you will succeed. Be patient with the, the evilness, even at high levels in government and other places. Be patient. Be wise. Take into your calculation the margin of wisdom in day-to-day -day life and the risk that accompanies life. Wisdom is the margin. Know that a fool here keeps talking about everything continually, and yet Solomon, and it's Solomon's sarcasm in verse 15, this guy doesn't even know the way to town. Now, is that, that, that's hyperbole. But he's making the point. This guy talks. He, he knows everything about everything. But he can't even tell you that's the way to Carlisle, let alone what the future's going to be. He's completely clueless. Don't listen to it. Ferret it out. Sift through it. It comes at us you know, all day long in all kinds of things. Some of the great men of history, and some of you have studied these in school, Rousseau and Marx and Tolstoy and Sartre, Bertrand Russell and others, they what? They all mock, mock God, every one of them. They all spoke about eternity, the future. 
Some said they don't even know the way to the next town. All denied everything holy and sacred and precious. All of them did. All presented themselves as being the fountain of all wisdom. Just ask them. They'll tell you. They had it all. The corner on it. Be careful. The results of their own lives tell everything, don't they? None of them kept their marriages together. None of them. Some of them lived like absolute moral pigs. They destroyed first themselves and everything around them. And the lesson that joins together, even with Solomon's words here, don't be misled by a fool. Don't. Don't be. They're everywhere to be found. A fool in his words. He doesn't know the future. And gee, and last, foolishness not only harms people, but it harms families, your family, and harms countries, even your country and mine. I think of China and Russia that were uh, declared themselves to be atheistic and brought about the ruin and the closing of the, of, uh, the Soviet Union. And that was a, a third world country. They might have had sort of a first world military, but uh, they couldn't, couldn't even feed their people. And the same with China in the years after Mao Zedong and other examples around the, brought about the ruination and the backward movement of countries and civilizations. I often wonder that about the USA. Look at verses 16 through 19 as he closes. Woe to you, O land, whose king was a servant, whose princes feast in the morning. That's a fool. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth. They're wise. Whose princes eat at proper time. They're not gluttons, you see, and undisciplined and lazy for strength and not for drunkenness. The picture, if a man is lazy, the rafters of his house sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. That's referring to a country, to a government. It rots away and it's going to crumble. Feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry. But money is the answer for everything. So called the words of these foolish leaders. And finally, he closes, do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird of the air may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. You ever hear the expression, a little birdie? A little birdie? A little birdie told me that comes right from that verse. Foolishness not only harms people, it will harm you as a Christian. If you make less than wise choices, you will hurt yourself and moan and groan. Read Proverbs 8 this week. Write that down. There, uh, wisdom is seen as a beautiful woman, personified, calling in the streets, calling out for men and women to hear and to follow. And the joy and the blessedness that comes as we inculcate that wisdom into our life as believers in Christ. Well, I'm reminded as a people, as we elect leaders who are fools, do you know that? We have fools that occupy leadership roles. Do you know that? Men and women that, that think they're walking in the light, but they're anything but in the light. And as we elect them and whoever we elect in the fall, if we elect fools, we will increasingly walk into the darkness and we'll suffer for it as a people. A reckless maintenance of justice is compared to the leaking of a house roofs. 
it rots and finally collapses and the country, and it's a picture of a country, is no more. And so finally in verse 20, Solomon warns, watch your thoughts and your words about a foolish reader. He advises us to be discreet, to be cautious, to be men and women who are controlled because a little birdie may tell them. Wisdom. Walk in wisdom, he calls us. Walk in wisdom. It's not enough to be intelligent. A lot of smart people make an absolute disaster of their lives. And you're smart. Don't you not let that be you. A lot of folks that are skilled and talented destroy their lives. End up in agony and anguish. Don't let that be you. A lot of folks are beautiful and handsome. That's not enough, is it? It's not enough. We need wisdom. It's the right usage of knowledge when it needs to be employed. That's what Solomon is calling us to. We can only do that as we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior, it's not the church. It's not being a member of a church. It's it's knowing Christ and Acknowledging that you're a sinner and lost, that Christ died, that you need to receive him. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. But you must receive him as your own. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life and we'll be done? Number one, wisdom is what we need to live life without hitting the rocks. Wisdom. We must employ it. There are shoals and rocks everywhere that we will smash into. Life's hard enough in a fallen world. It's unpredictable. Wisdom. God gives it to us. He gave it to us in the person of Christ. He gives it to us as the manual for life. Number two, only wisdom will carry you through life. Even if you're talented, smart, or attractive, what you and I need is wisdom. Number three, Find this wisdom, you must first be saved. You'll never be wise without the Savior. You must first believe. Don't let the day pass if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. It is the most important thing. It's not what you're going to eat today, or what you're going to dress, or where you're going to go, or what you're going to do, any of that, or what you're going to do with your life, or who you're going to marry, all these things have a relative importance, of course. But you must be born again. You must be saved. Read the Scriptures and see. To find Christ is to find everlasting life. Number four, then as a child of God, you must daily read God's Word and do it. Open the Scriptures and read them. Read the book of Proverbs every single day, the book of wisdom. I've done that for so many years. I begin reading. Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. I read the corresponding chapter to the day. Today is uh, July the 6th. I read very early this morning, Proverbs 6. I begin there. Then I go to the Psalms. And Sunday, then I spend time studying my sermon text again one last time. And say, Lord, apply these things in my life, that people will see Christ in me, and that I'll make wise choices through these few days of our lives particularly in the big things. Don't blow the big things. We're all going to have regrets. 
We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to sin. Don't blow the big things. Life is loaded. There are five or six key, key decisions in life. You need the wisdom of God to make the very best choices. And God provides that for us. And number five and last, don't be one of the many who throw away their lives by being fools. Don't be one of those. They identify themselves. They walk down the street and everyone knows there's a fool. They open their mouth and they confirm it. And I'm reminded that you can be foolish too, and so can I. God, deliver us from that. And may we be as the Lord Jesus Christ, a world that desperately needs. Well, graduation. Some of you came through it. Some of you are waiting to do it. Not too many more years. You're counting the days. And you'll have a commencement speaker. Maybe it'll be George Bush. He'll show up. Newt Gingrich, right? It's funny. You read all these big celebrities and the who's who and where they're speaking. I can't imagine how much they pay some of these people to show up and speak, right? Some of them. Well, Solomon, as it were, is at the commencement, the beginning of life. You say, listen, be wise. Be men and women of wisdom in this unpredictable thing called life. It's not enough to be smart. Not enough to be head of your class. Not enough to be highly talented or gifted. We must be far more than that. And that is found only in Christ the Lord and in knowing Him. You must be wise. And it comes through knowing him, through knowing the word, and building it into your heart and life. It will build your marriage. It will build your life. It will make your life into something beautiful. Don't throw your life away.